Well, good morning, church. If I haven't met you, my name's Katie, and I'm the chair of elders here at New Life Coolangatta. It's my privilege to be able to deliver the word this morning. However, I'm not quite sure. Scott's gone on holidays, our lead pastor, and he said, Katie, you preach for the first time while I'm away. So I guess that shows his confidence in me, but we'll see how we go. Can I say, though, while Scott's away, that we are led by an amazing team. We're led by a young team, but I think God has called us, and we are really blessed with who we have So Dave's leading us at the moment. We've got Hanisi, as Dave said, who stepped into worship coordinator. She's been doing that job for two whole weeks now while Ash is on maternity leave. And we've got amazing volunteers as well. We've got Sam, who runs our tech team. Daniel, you would have met at the door. So we are really blessed here at New Life Coolangatta with the community we have. So if you see those people, please encourage them, thank them for what they're doing and the way that they honour and serve us. Yes, great. So today we're continuing through our series on prayer. And we're continuing through, particularly looking at the Lord's Prayer and breaking it down. Today we're focusing on your kingdom. So we're in Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we're going to delve into this in a bit, but if I've learned anything from having done the sermon this morning, there are two things in life that make me nervous. One is preaching for the first time and the other are first dates. So I need to stop and pray and will you join me in that? Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to serve your church. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to gather as your community here this morning. I thank you for what you're doing in and through New Life Cool and Gather, Jesus. I thank you for every single person as they sit here. May our hearts be open, Lord, today to receive the word that you have for us. May I not be a hindrance, Lord, but may I be your vessel. May my words be your words, Jesus. Use me as you will. Amen. So I thought I'd take a moment, because some of you may not have met me, and you're going, she doesn't wear the cool and gatter uniform. I don't know if you noticed, but Hanisi and David were matching in white jumpers and black pants, which seems to be a trend. If you don't know me, here are some pictures of who I am when I'm not at church. So I've been at New Life, I think, for about 18 years. I was at New Life Rabina and came here when we launched New Life Cool and Gatter. I'm also a granddaughter, so that's my grandfather, Alan, up there later, who's just turned 93. I'm a niece, I'm a cousin. I've got a great extended family. I'm a teacher, and you can probably tell that I teach science. I teach chemistry. That's me in my classroom with my skeleton named Temmy. I'm also a daughter, and I'm an auntie, as you can see up in the top right-hand corner, and I'm also a scientist. So I was a scientist before I became a teacher. You may also see a theme that I really like bright colours. (laughs) So that's a little bit about me. That's where I am. I have the privilege of being chair of elders here at New Life Coolangatta. I get to serve alongside Harry and Dave with Scott in leading what we think God's doing for our community. So that's why I'm here this morning. Let's delve in, shall we, just a little bit? So through our series so far, we've had two messages, teach us and our Father. Scott took us through teach us, teach us the Lord's Prayer. And the take-home I had from that was a quote by Corrie ten Boom that Scott finished with, is prayer our steering wheel or is it our spare tyre? And that's really resonated with me in the last two weeks, going, do I rely on prayer in moments of crisis or is prayer my everyday conversation that I'm having with God in all moments? Last week, Dave took us through our Father, the start of the Lord's Prayer. And I must say, Dave, I took a lot of notes and it was hard to pick a highlight, but here's what I got. David reminded us that when we pray our Father, Jesus is saying that God is actively, actively calling us his children. He isn't looking for our performance. He's not looking at me being the most eloquent preacher, but he's looking for our hearts. He's looking to spend time with his children the same way our earthly parents want to spend time and desire to spend time with us. So that brings us to today. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever had one of those really, really, really great days? One of those days where you fall into bed at the end and you are exhausted but elated and you're going back through everything that's happened in your day. Maybe it was celebrating a wedding. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was a birthday party. Maybe it was Christmas with the extended family. Maybe it was gathering together again to celebrate something once borders open and you could see all your family. But I had one of those days this week, and it's going to sound a little strange, but it was the day I moved house. I know moving house is meant to be hard, but for me, it was a really, 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 really great day. I am a teacher, I am organised, I have a systems, I'm a scientist, right, so I had it all down to a key. I was a bit nervous about moving with the fridge fit through the door, I'd measured it. I'd measured the hole for the fridge, but I hadn't measured the door. That's a mistake, guys, that's a mistake, don't do that. But I asked these people to come and help, and I don't like asking for help. I'm a strong, independent woman, watch me go. But I needed to ask for help, and I did. And I had people gather around me who loved me, who I knew wanted the best for me, who wanted this new place, this new home to be just amazing, to be somewhere special and precious for me. There were three maths teachers there. <laughs> so needless to say, the fridge was measured, the algebra was calculated, the geometry was determined, and it got in the door. <laughs> there was someone who loved doing flat packs, so they were putting the flat packs together, which is not my love. Thank you, Sam. That was awesome. There were others that were setting up beds and frames and working out where things needed to go. And something I'd been worried about happened within the matter of an hour. We'd loaded the truck, we'd moved, we'd unloaded, and they were gone within two hours. And it was one of those really, really, really great days. I was exhausted because I'd unpacked a lot of boxes. But I was so happy because I'd been surrounded by people that I knew loved me, wanted the best for me, and used their skills and their abilities in a way to just serve something bigger than themselves. It was one of those really, really great days. And I hope you can think of a situation like that where you've been loved by community. What does this have to do with your kingdom? Well, I don't know about you, but this is something that's confused me. What does the kingdom of God actually look like? Today, to take us through, I'm going to talk about three questions. What is God's kingdom like? How do we know God's will? And why? So if you're struggling, if we get to why, you know I'm nearly finished. All right, so there are three points. What, how, and why? When I googled the kingdom of God, I got an image that looked a little bit like this. Or maybe when you think kingdom of God, you think of the Simpsons where they have the king sitting in the clouds, ruling down on his people. And it can be a concept we struggle with. Or maybe that's just me, but what is the kingdom of God? We use this word kingdom and we think of kings and queens and ruling over people. But that doesn't match the character and the nature of the God that I know that doesn't match the nature of the God that I love and I serve. The Bible actually tells us that the kingdom of God is within us. Luke 17, 20 to 21. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, Jesus, answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now, the scientist in me struggles a little, right? Because I want to observe things. I want to know that X plus Y equals XY. I want to know that something is observable and relatable, but the kingdom of God lives within us, and it's small things that we observe rather than big wins and equations coming to life. 
Matthew tells us, oh, sorry, Mark tells us in Mark 10, 13 to 16, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. I love that word, indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. This verse tells us that we need to come like little children to Jesus, that we need to come not with the weight of the world on our shoulders, but like an innocent young child. I don't know if you spend time with young children on a regular basis. I've got a four-year-old nephew and a six-year-old niece. They are not afraid to tell me how it is. (laughs) They're not afraid to tell me when the movie's too long or the popcorn's cold. But they're also not afraid to say, Annie, Katie, I love you. And I think sometimes we place the weight of the world or the ifs and the shoulds and the we should, you know, all the expectation on us, and that hinders us coming to God. But God really just wants to spend time with us as little children. I love the image in the Bible where the disciples rested with Jesus. He wants us to rest, to know him, to dwell in him, to just spend time. In the same way a little child just wants to follow their parents around, wants to spend time with them. This is how we know the kingdom. The kingdom of God for me is like that day where I moved house, where people were using their gifts and their talents and they were bringing something bigger and better than one individual person could do. If I tried to move my queen bed on my own, it would have taken a very long time, put a lot of dints in the roof and not ended very well, right? But because people are able to work together and build a team, to me, that's what the kingdom is like. Each of us are individuals. Each of us have our own strengths and our own gifts. I can't sing as well as Hanisi. I never will. But I've got other things I can do. I can shake and sing at the same time, just not as well, right? (laughs) We've all got our own strengths and our abilities, and I think God calls us to use those, and that's where his kingdom comes into fruition. I really love this quote by N.T. Wright. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbour as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly or a little more bearable until the day we leave it behind altogether. They are a part of what we may call building God's kingdom. Some of us are gifted sewers. Some of us struggle to put a button on, right? <laughs> I love crocheting. <laughs> but it doesn't mean all of us are called to do that. We've all got our own gifts and our strengths and ways to serve and love each other. Noel Maxwell has this quote, if the kingdom of God isn't first, it doesn't matter what's second. If we can't come humbly before God seeking him, seeking to be more like him, it doesn't matter what our next aim is. But there's two parts to this verse we've got to look at today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. I don't know about you guys, but that's, oh, that's a bit ouchy for me. I'm a bit of a control freak, in case you didn't know. Maybe you're like me and this can be hard to say. Not my will, God, but yours. Not my timing, God, but yours. 
Psalm 119 tells us that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I love the confidence in that, that God knows where I'm going. He's lighting the path for me as I go. But there's also a little frustration in I want to see more than one step. (laughs) I want to see the end of the road. I want to see the end of 2022. I wouldn't even mind seeing just the end of July, right? But God's showing us normally just one step at a time. And that's when his will gets revealed to us, as we follow faithfully, as we follow where that lamp is pointing us. Scripture promises that God has the best for us, that he will show us, that he will guide us. But how do we actually get to know what that is? How do you even get to see what that illumination is as to which step to take next? We do that by spending time with God. We do that by dwelling in his presence by getting to know the sound of his still, small voice, by being able to follow those promptings, by spending time in community, faithful community. I hope I never get to an age or a point in life where I stop making new friends. I hope I always get to encounter new people, learn new things. And there's this great quote, Tim Keller quotes C.S. Lewis, if you can follow that, where he talks about how we get to know somebody. C.S. Lewis argues that it takes a community of people to get to know an individual person. Reflecting on his own friendships, he observed that some aspects of one of his friend's personality were brought out only through interactions with a second friend. That meant if he lost the second friend, he lost the part of his first friend that was otherwise invisible. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show his facets. If it takes a community to know an ordinary human being, how much more necessary would it be to get to know Jesus alongside others? By praying with friends, you'll be able to, pr- to hear and see facets of Jesus that you've not yet perceived. I find this, it's insightful I know as a teacher, if a student loves chemistry, they're going to love my classroom a lot more than they may say love math. And then I see a different side of a student's personality because they're enjoying it than someone who's trying to teach them math and they're not enjoying it, right? They've tuned out, they're not interested. Or maybe you've got a friend that when you relate with them as peer-to-peer, they're very different than when they're relating to someone above in authority or when they're trying to mentor someone below. We need a community of people to even learn truly who ourselves are. How much more then do we need community to actually get to know God and discern his will? We get to trust God's will by bouncing off each other and having conversation and working things out, challenging each other. Dave and I got to meet each other when we first started church planting. So what, about two and a half years ago, David? David is a bit younger than me. (laughs) So he's from a different generation I didn't really know it until we started having a conversation, to be honest. He's also got a little bit of a funny accent because he grew up in the UK. Sorry, Dave. (laughs) But the more we get to know each other, the more I realise that Dave and I have the same mission. Dave and I both want to see more people more like Jesus. But the way we go about it is based on our experiences. It's based on where we were brought up by our parents, by our upbringing, by our friends. We disagree on language quite often, right? Dave's okay with Christian swearing, I'm absolutely not. And if you don't know what that means, we can talk about it later. But we'll disagree on those things because of our experience, because of the lens in which we see the world. But I know Dave, and I know Dave's heart, 
And if Dave wants to give me some correction, I know where it's coming from. In the same way, when I spend time with God, I get to know him, I get to know his heart. And sometimes when we pray and it's a no, if I actually know God and know he loves me and he trusts me, it's much easier for me to accept that and to live in that moment. So I want to challenge us today. What are our prayer habits like? How much time do you spend with God? Do you actually carve it out or make it a a habit that you follow and you're strict on? In the same way you may love exercise and you make sure you get 30 minutes a day, are we actually praying every day? Or are we going back to that Corrie ten Boom quote where we're using it just as our spare tyre in moments of crisis and we're not using it all the time as our steering wheel? I've had to be deliberate in this because I found prayer when I first became a Christian kind of one of those scary things. Kind of one of those things that I wasn't sure about, where do I start? Do I have the right words? I don't know what I'm doing. So I've had to carve out time. I try to go to the beach every Saturday morning for an hour and I watch sunrise, which is just beautiful and amazing. But that's also my time to just pray with God, thank him for what he's done through the week. It's only an hour on a Saturday. I'm exercising, tick, but I'm also spending time with God, which I get a lot more out of. Real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. We can't fall in love if we don't know someone, don't spend time with someone. I've had to be really mindful of what habits am I putting into place. As a teacher, I will pray from my desk to my classroom door. I don't know what I'm walking into when I walk into that room, but I know I'm going to have 28 teenagers in front of me, hopefully if they all turn up. But I'll have 28 teenagers in front of me that may have had a really rough night at home, that may have just broken up with their teenage boyfriend. Teenage heartbreak, it's a thing, guys, it's a thing, right? Um, They may have just had a really tough moment. They're trying to work out who they are. I don't know what they're carrying as they walk into that room, but I want to be God's words. I want to be God's hands and feet in that moment. So I've made it my habit as I walk from my desk to my door to pray for those students that I'm going to enter. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen for the whole walk because someone will need to talk to me and, you know, we'll walk over, but I try to always just say, God, use me. Even if it's that one sentence, God, use me. What are your prayer habits like? Do you carve out time every day? Is it, can it be as simple as when you're driving, putting worship music on and just spending some time with God? Don't close your eyes while you're driving, that's a bad idea. But what are your habits? How are you spending time with God? I once heard the audible voice of God, and it's something that I think a lot of us crave, but trust me, when you've been there, you've got no choice but to obey. I made a choice in 2014. I was kind of felt like I'd hit a bit of a valley in my Christian walk, and I decided on the 1st of January that I was going to spend the day in silence and solitude. I was going to spend the time re- reading God's word and just communing with him. And I felt God say to me, or I heard God say to me, Katie, be brave. So my word for 2014 became brave and I've had a word of the year every year since. Because I'd gotten myself into a rut where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't, I was human, I was broken, I couldn't, I couldn't, and I forgot that my God is a big God and he had called me to greater things. So he challenged me to be brave. But that only happened because I'd made the space, because I made a decision to sit in silence and solitude and spend time as Scott gave the example two weeks ago when he was talking, we don't have a friend that we just come and blah, 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 and walk away. We need to actually sit and listen and get to know them. And sometimes you get to know someone the most 
in those really tough times when you're sitting alongside them crying together. That changed my prayer life when I worked out that God's big enough to handle my tears, my disappointments, and the reality of life. So I really want to encourage us to get to know God's will, spend time with God, make some habits. Maybe you want to join a small group. Maybe you want to find a friend and say, hold me accountable. I want to pray for 10 minutes a day. Start small, but be consistent. In the same way you would if you're getting to know a friend, you reach out, you connect. We need to do that in our prayer life. To know God's will truly, we need to surrender and we need to submit. We need to surrender in those times. If you're like me, you like to talk a lot, you like to be in control. And it's hard for me to surrender that, but we need to be able to do it. And we need to be able to submit to then what God tells us. This is still a muscle I am developing, is the way I like to think about it. In the same way I'm riding a bike every day, (laughs) or trying to. It's a muscle I'm developing. And when it becomes a habit, it just becomes something we do. But I really want to encourage us to develop our prayer habits. If we can't say, thy will be done from the bottom of our hearts, we will never know any peace. We will feel compelled to try to control people and control our environment and make things the way we believe they ought to be. And if you've ever tried to do that for long, you know it's tiring. And when God's got it, it's so much easier. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. That's from C.S. Lewis. When we spend time with God, it doesn't change him. It changes me. When I spend time with Dave, we challenge each other in good ways, right? Because remember, we love each other. But we challenge each other. We learn from each other. We grow together. There's this quote from Ruth Barton. She's written a book about sacred rhythms. And if you want some help in rhythms, that's a really good place to start. And she talks about the disciples and the community that they spent together. The desire to know and do the will of God and live a life that made this possible formed the disciples' primary identity. And it was on this basis that they came together in unity. They ate together, travelled together, slept out under the stars together, ministered together, talked and asked questions, argued and challenged each other. In the crucible of community, they were shaped and moulded to become the future leaders of the church. They were changed as individuals and ultimately they changed the world through the inauguration of a new kind of relationship with God through the person of Christ. Maybe you need to get in faithful community to do life together, to challenge each other, to learn from each other. Talk to Dave if you want to join a small group. We'd love to have you. Romans 12.2 says, and Mike used this in our um, New Life Conference video as well, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We want to be able to test and approve that what we're thinking is God's will is truly God's will, and we do that in community. We get our mind transformed by spending time with him, by spending time in his word, by spending time with other faithful Christians, by worshipping. So what do your prayer habits look like? The last part of this verse, his good pleasing and perfect will. We're all humans. 
We're all broken people because sin entered the world back with Adam and Eve. So the third thing I want to talk about is why. (laughs) Why do we not see God's perfect, pleasing will all the time here on earth? And it's because we have sin and suffering. And I don't want to dwell on this space because that could be a whole sermon series all on its own. But we do have to acknowledge that what the world we live in now is not perfect. In those moments, prayer is a precious gift. In those moments, prayer is a precious gift to actually come before God, especially if someone is joining you alongside and praying with you. On the screen, I'm going to show you some of my most prized possessions. So these are the name tags, church name tags of my grandparents. I've got my great-grandmothers there as well, and I would have my mum and dad's, but I didn't. (laughs) Oops, sorry. I didn't want to go through their jewellery boxes. Well, that's a short story. So they're all Uniting Church badges, so I'm thankful for my strong Christian heritage. I've got Dawn and Ted, who are my dad's parents, and Alan and Nola, who are my mums, and Maud, who was Dawn's mother, so my great-grandmother. What I love about this is it shows that there are generations of people that have prayed for me. There are generations of people here who have prayed the Lord's Prayer, that we can say the same prayer together. I've been blessed to know all of my great-grandparents, so my grandparents and also all of my great-grandparents. But knowing that they are Christians and they love Jesus and I will see them again is a truly precious gift for me. My health journey hasn't always been easy and some of you that know me well will know that. And these people prayed and I know they prayed and there's power knowing that even though they're generations apart that they have prayed for me and they've prayed the Lord's Prayer with and for me. One of the joys and challenges of being a Christian is the joy of standing alongside someone and having the privilege and the honour to pray with them. We know that the world we see now is not perfect, but God does call us to intercede in those moments. Intercession means to simply stand in the gap for someone, to mediate between what God wants and what's happening here on earth. We know that when God's people intercede, God will intervene. We know that when we gather together and pray, God will move. The answer may not be always what our hearts are desiring, but the more time we spend with God, the more that answer will just start to make sense to us because we know him and we know his character. Oswald Chambers says, true intercession involves bringing the person or the circumstance that seems to be crashing in on you before God until you are changed by his attitude toward that person or circumstance. People describe intercession by saying it is putting yourself in someone else's place. That's just not true. Intercession is putting yourself in God's place. It is having his mind and his perspective. I don't know about you guys, but I do work with a lot of people. It's the nature of being a teacher. You work with a lot of students, you work with a lot of teachers, I get to work with parents as well. Some days there's conflict, because that's just the nature of people, working with people. But I find when I bring that conflict to Jesus, he doesn't change them, he changes me. I find when I bring that situation and I bring it forward in prayer, he doesn't necessarily change that person. He's going to change my heart for that person or my heart for that situation. 
It's not a matter of just saying words. It's being willing to participate in the prayer and the action that's going to follow in terms of intercession. There are numerous stories in the Bible of people interceding on behalf of others. In Exodus, we hear of Moses who held his hands until victory occurred to the point where his hands hurt. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my hands get sore in worship, and that's like two or three songs max, right? But Moses stood and held his hands while his people were winning to the point where Aaron and her had to come alongside and hold each arm up to make sure that victory happened. Abraham interceded with God. He argued, he pleaded with God for Sodom, kept bringing the numbers down. But Lord, what about if there's 45 to the point where God said, well, if there's 10, I will not destroy it. When God's people intercede, God will intervene. There is power when we choose to use our free will to pray for others and when we try to align our hearts with what God wants for them and for us. But let's be honest, intercession, the idea of praying for someone, for some of us, that brings fear. (laughs) I know I was, when I first became an elder back at Rabina, that was the thing that I was like, oh, I'll do anything but pray down the front, thank you very much. I'll take the minutes in the meeting, I'll get up here and do announcements where I'm not going to pray for someone. There was fear because I didn't know if I had the right words to use. I didn't know if the prayer I would say would be powerful enough. I didn't know if what I was praying for would come to fruition and that would affect someone's faith journey. But here's the thing. If we've learned anything from the series so far, it's that prayer is relational. It's that praying is spending time with our friend. Our friend doesn't judge us by the quality of our words, normally. (laughs) It's about spending time. It's about knowing the heart. God doesn't mind what words we use. He just wants us to spend time with him and bring it to him and just, Lord, I lay it at your feet. It doesn't matter if we're praying in a circle and no one says amen. God still hears us. Our problem is that we assume prayer is something to master, the way we would master algebra or auto mechanics or chemistry. That puts us in the on-top position where we are competent and in control. But when praying, we actually come underneath, where we calmly and deliberately surrender control and become incompetent. Intercessory prayer is not saying, I will pray for you. We need to be willing to work with God for the person and situation we are praying for. Corrie Ten Boom, I'm coming back to her because I like, she's got power, that woman. (laughs) We never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan for the answer. If we are true intercessors, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of the people for whom we pray. So if there's anything I want you to leave with today, it's two things. One, think about your prayer habits. Maybe you need to change them. Maybe you need to get accountable in spending time with Jesus. And two, I want you to be bold and courageous in stepping out and praying for others. Stepping out and praying intercessory prayers for others. But being a teacher that I am, I thought that's kind of big to just go here. So I made a four-step plan. (laughs) All right? And they all go GI, so hopefully you'll remember as we leave. Number one, get informed. 
If there's a situation you want to pray about, learn about the situation. Learn the facts. Maybe you want to pray about something happening around the world. Learn what's happening. Get updates. Ask questions. Get inspired. What is God saying about this? Invite the Holy Spirit to inspire you to speak into the situation. Get indignant. I told you I love that word. Get indignant. Let the things that break God's heart break yours. But I will say this, be careful praying that because there may be a lot of tears that follow. But let the things that break God's heart break yours. And I will tell you, if the situation that you are praying for breaks your heart, you will pray with fire, determination that you have never experienced before because you will want to see change. So get indignant. Get in sync. Don't just text your friend, hey, I'm praying for you. I think that's done. Pray once. Don't just pray once. Continue praying. Pray continually. Align your heart with God's. Maybe you need to engage in prayer and community. Again, if you're not in a small group, see Dave, we'd love to have you. Maybe in your small group, prayer is not something that happens naturally or freely. Maybe you want to try all praying at the same time. I know it sounds weird. But it's a way that you can pray, have your heart be heard and not feel like your words are being judged or looked back at you. Remember, it doesn't matter how many people are amening you in your circle as you pray. It's about spending time with God and talking to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. Guys, our community here at New Life Coolangatta needs us to pray for each other. When people walk in the door here, they talk about how much we love each other, the community we have, and I love that. But we need to be praying for each other. We need to care enough to ask and to spend time praying. I'm also challenged today, and this is a personal challenge, and I'm sure it might be for someone else, that maybe there's a situation or a person you've been praying for that you've stopped praying because you haven't yet seen the answer. And God wants to say, don't give up. Don't give up. I'm still listening. I'm still at work. I'm still God. So if that's you keep praying if we had more sleepless nights in prayer there would be fewer souls to have a sleepless eternal night in hell who do we need to get on our knees for and be praying for and intercede for maybe you're here for the first time today and you're going Katie I don't know what you're talking about prayer that's hard and that's okay come talk to one of us if you've got questions we'd love to get to know you we'd love to talk more but maybe you're here and you've been challenged. Don't leave without talking to someone. Don't leave without asking someone to pray with you, to pray for you. There's nothing that makes us happier than to be able to pray. I know sometimes it can feel a bit awkward after the service when Dave, myself, and others are standing down the front here, but guys, we're not awkward. (laughs) We're just seeking God in that moment. 
come, seek prayer. Don't leave this place of God speaking to you and he wants to change something. Shortly, I'm going to close out in prayer. So if you've paid attention, well done. You made it to the end. But we have a God that loves us. Gosh, he sent his son to die for us. And all he wants in return is for us to spend time, to spend time with him, to rest in him, to commune with him. We do that in community and we do that through great prayer habits. I'm going to read a prayer to finish that I think says it way better than I can. (laughs) If you haven't worked out already, I love books. And this is a book by Craig Rochelle called Dangerous Prayers. And I think his prayer here sums up better than what I could say in terms of where I want to see myself in alignment with God's will and where I want to go from today. But as we close, as I finish in prayer and the team starts to lead us in worship, come down the front. If you want to be prayed for, come down the front or turn to the person next to you. I know that's a whole level of courage to come all the way down here, but maybe you want to turn to the person next to you. Maybe you simply want to go, thank you, Jesus, for the amazing house I just moved into. And you want to give praise and that's okay. But maybe there's something in your heart that you're struggling with, that you know your neighbor's struggling with, that you know someone in your family's struggling with and you want prayer for that too. We can stand in the gap. That's what intercessory prayer is all about. So let me pray this with us as we close. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, because you gave Jesus for me, I give my whole day to you today. Every part of me is yours. Take each part of the body you created and consecrate it for your purposes today. God, I give you my mind. Please guard my thoughts. Help me take captive any thought that is not from you to make it obedient to Christ and all your truth. Renew my mind. Lord, I give you my eyes. Help me to look on things that are pure and honouring to you. Give me eyes to see what you see. God, guard my ears. Protect me from listening to any lies from the evil one. May I only hear your voice, your spirit, your truth guiding me. Interrupt my plans, Lord. Redirect me towards your agenda. God, set a guard over my mouth. May every word that I speak be pleasing to you, O God. Give me words to say to lift and encourage others, pointing them to you. Lord, help guard my heart, as I know it can easily deceive me. Purify my motives in all that I do. May my only goal be to serve and please you. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to come here as your people, to come spend time in community together. Lord, may we leave here with a desire to get to know you in closer and richer ways, Jesus. Surround us with people, Lord, that we can do this life with, that we can build faithful community with. And Lord, for those of us who are sitting out there, give us boldness, give us courage to step forward and seek prayer. I thank you for what you've done this morning, Jesus, and we look forward to what you're going to do. Amen.